Well, 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 after a crushing loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, everybody looked at the schedule and figured, hey, Philly's going to go on a run here, maybe still challenge for the top seed. Didn't happen. 102-94 loss for the Sixers to the Detroit Pistons. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. Before we jump into things, as I mentioned, always don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, always appreciate a five-star review as well. And go to libertyballers.com for all things Sixers now, as we're basically about two weeks away from the start of the playoffs. Mr. Jackson Frank joining me on this one. Jackson, how are you feeling after this third straight loss for, for this team? The Sixers, of course, you lose to Phoenix, you lose to Milwaukee, played pretty well throughout most of those games. So again, those are top tier teams, finalists last season. You give them the benefit of the doubt, but this one, an ugly, ugly loss. What are your thoughts immediately following the game right now? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the offense just looked really stale. Um, Harden struggled after a good good start. Um, you know, kind of saw, struggled the start of the second, second or like end to close the first half and then never really regained form after that. Um, MB, despite a really great performance as a scorer, his handle was, wasn't there. He got stripped a lot on, on late help. It kind of reminded me of the old MB, the guy who got rattled by plays like that um, and was really, you know, he was was prone to succumbing to late help and whatnot when he began his move or he was finalizing his move in the post. So um, offense looks stale. And then down the stretch, the defense wasn't very crisp. Um, this team just doesn't switch cohesively at all. You compare them to a team like Boston or Phoenix um, that is always, you know, up to date on their switching and they know when they're going to switch and then when they're not going to switch. Um, that's just not them. It, it, I tweeted it, but it reminds me of the, the Jimmy Butler team uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. They just never really fell on the same page uh, defensively. Um, they figured out in the playoffs, um, they ended up being a very good you know, playoff defense. Um, not, I'm not going to say that. Like, I'm not saying that, like, oh, that means this, this team is going to be. Um, but that's what it reminds me of. So just not crisp defensively. I didn't think Joel was great defensively. I thought he was laid on some rotations. Um, he wasn't obviously the main culprit really, but um, Matisse wasn't very good defensively either. Kate got the best move with a lot of moves, setting up ball screens, using his handle. Um, so just, just a, a stale performance offensively and, you know, some really costly mistakes defensively uh, down the stretch there when the Pistons went on that big long run in the fourth. And it was a lot of poor switching and uh, poor discipline for Matisse and Joel not being kind of the, the guy that we have come to expect throughout his career uh, defensively. Yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those steals you were mentioning and, and the turnovers, like Joel had seven of them in this game, played, you know, good, decent on the offensive end in terms of um just shooting the ball, went 11 to 19, 37 points, 15 rebounds, but seven turnovers. And it seemed like every single time the Sixers turned the ball over, the Pistons converted that into a layup. And you're looking at the fast break points, 17 to four overall for Detroit, looking at the end of that game. James Harden made a layup to put the Sixers up 85-79 with 743 left. And the Sixers were outscored 23 to nine the rest of the way by a team that just won its 21st game of the season. Uh, Jackson, I know we've talked about this before, and and obviously we've done a lot of podcasts uh, throughout the season in terms of postgame stuff and and kind of breaking things down. And we've done our fair share of blowouts where Philly lost by a lot. And we were like, hey, all right, these things happen in an 82 game season. But you're looking at this now, this type of performance. And again, yes, they lost that big one against Milwaukee, might have had an emotional letdown after that. But this was another game you're looking at. Hey, they go six and one down the stretch. Maybe, maybe give them a chance at the one seed. Uh, definitely looking at a, a chance to get the two seed. Now this one drops them back. They're now in sole possession, pardon me, of fourth. Uh, two games up on Chicago and Toronto. 
but you're looking at this now and and the bench play was just disgusting i think that's that's the way i can i can put it. i can't think of a nicer word uh was it shake milton had a three in the third quarter that gave the bench unit their first points of the game mm-hmm. the sixers only finished with eight total from their second unit so you're looking at this like these warts have been there all season is there anything they can do now with six games to go that might be able to change the trajectory of what we're seeing? Because to us, I think, in my opinion, not having consistent production from a guy off the bench, and nobody's saying you need a Lou Williams type player to come in and score 18 or night or 20 a night, but just somebody who can consistently give you 14 or 15. Like, how are you looking at this from the technical side of the game? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the Sixers' biggest issue is the lack of a fifth starter, and that bleeds into the into the you know, lack of a, a credible fifth starter. I know Matisse played 32 minutes tonight, but I didn't think he was very good. I, I thought he got burned a lot gambling for plays on the ball against Cade. I thought the Pistons really mucked things up, uh, you know, when Matisse was hanging out in the dunker spot. There was the, I think Cade had a late steal on on Harden that kind of maybe sealed the game. And that I think he was guarding Matisse. And so Harden was trying to drive. And, you know, there's a second defender right there. So um, it just, that bleeds into the bench. I, they need, they need shake to be a lot better than he's been. And that's not necessarily fair to shake given the, the kind of tumultuous year he's had and maybe the caliber of player he is, you know, right now. Um, but they need him to be better. They need someone, they need George Yang to regain the form that he's had most of the year. Um, obviously the backup center position is a, is a very murky, murky spot for this team. So, um, they just, they've got, five good players on a nightly basis and that fifth one is just kind of a revolving door and tonight they had i mean tobias was good joel was pretty good tonight they had two and a half good players i i guess like i thought max was fine and that's not going to cut it against any team especially a team like detroit that um has been playing decently well um for a couple of months now or a month at least they haven't been winning a lot of games but um the, the process has been there and so when you come out flat like this and the sixers did you're going to lose a game um, so it just all of it ties back to however they can do it this offseason. They got to find a fifth, a fifth starter that, that, can, that you can count on to close games. It shouldn't be this kind of carousel of, you know, who's going to close tonight. It was Niang. It was Danny Green against, um, I think the Suns, maybe, or even the Bucks game. Um, it's got to be someone you can rely on every night. And I, it's not like I think Doc's one of his strengths is the fact that he's willing to kind of go with a different guy, whoever has the hot hand, but when you don't really have a hot hand, it makes things a lot tougher. And that's kind of where these Sixers are. And that's not, again, that's not to say that doc is, is, is perfect, but um, he's been put in a tough spot in, in, in kind of trying to find this fifth starter. And I think that was an issue tonight. And it's been an issue in a lot of these, these recent games against very good teams. Uh, and obviously the, the Pistons aren't a very good team, but um, point being is that that is a consistent theme of these losses over the last you know, month or so since the schedule or month, five weeks since the schedule really kind of picked up. Yeah. Hard to find a guy with a hot hand when it seems like everybody there's hand is actually frozen cold. So that's, <laughs> that's going to be the problem here. Cause I've, I've, I've said, you know, we said that too. And it's almost like the, the onus to carry the second unit, especially on the offensive end is going to a guy like George Niang, who is a very good player. And he's been an underrated signing. I think just overall, he's averaging almost 10 points a game, shoots the three ball uh, obviously pretty consistently from out there. But he's not the type of guy you're going to look at and say, hey, he's going to be our go-to guy off the bench to get us some points. You know what I mean? Like his game just doesn't suit it. He's not a creator. He's not going to break down guys off the dribble and he's not overly dominant down low. He's just, he gives you three-point shooting and when he's hitting them, great. You're getting some added production from the second unit. And when he's not, we see what's ha- what what happens. And and again, th- this to me, I- I'm looking at this and 
there's only six games left to go. So it's not like we, we have another, you know, month and a half to, to maybe figure something out. But I did have this thought during the game, Jackson, and, and let me know what you think too. Yes, we know what Paul Reed's limitations are. Yes, we know what Isaiah Joe's limitations are. But are those guys that you look at at this point and think, hell, what do I have to lose? Because we discussed this after the Milwaukee game is that, hey, you know, you got, uh, you, you got Millsap out there who just gives you straight zeros. You may as well try and get Paul Reed. You're going to have to deal with some hiccups, but he is going to make some plays. He's going to block some shots. He might be able to get an offensive rebound that results in a couple, you know, in a couple of free throws. Like, whatever it is, these guys are bringing something onto the court. And, and do you think that's, that's, that's something Doc should at least try over these last six games and, and just say, hey, you know what? If we end up with the third seed or fourth seed, doesn't really matter at this point. We're recording this right after the game. So Milwaukee looks like it's going to lose to Brooklyn in this one. And so you still have room maybe to, to, to catch the Bucks. But again, like, what is the goal here over the last six games for you? Yeah, I, to answer your question, I absolutely think this is the time to, to see what you have in some of those younger guys and those unproven players. Because you're, you're just, you're not getting anything consistently out of six of your rotation players. And, and I, I mean, I, I know Matisse is a good defender, but uh, people who, you know, read my work and follow me on Twitter know that I've largely been lower on him. And like tonight's an example, the game against Milwaukee is an example. Like that's not a guy you can rely on to play starters minutes, especially in the playoffs. Um, so you've got six guys that you can't rely on every night. And this, again, we're not saying that Paul Reed is the answer, Isaiah Joe's the answer, or even Ferguson Korkmaz is, but you've got to try something, right? Like you're like, I don't think that the Sixers, the like lack of bench score, I think the lack of bench score is emblematic of their issues. But like if Danny Green was giving you really good defense at the nail and like help defense and DeAndre is really holding down the four as a rebounder, which is obviously an issue for the Sixers, I would understand our segment was just giving you a second ball, a, a third ball handler to kind of lighten the load on the perimeter then sure. But those guys aren't doing that. George Yang is the only one that I think off the bench earns minutes. And even he struggled recently, as you kind of mentioned at the top. So um, of this segment. So yeah, you got to try something. And like, like if it was just, the, if it was a starters issues, if it was a starters issue and the bench was playing well, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting here and saying that, but the bench just consistently lets you down. And again, the, the starters weren't great tonight. Harden struggled. Maxi was fine. Joel was fine. Tobias, I thought was solid, but it's you got you got to do something else, and I just like I know I know that coaches like some sort of what's the kind of I guess a, a trust factor. Like I know that like Doc knows who Danny Green's been before in the NBA. He knows who George Niang's been. He knows who Dondre Jordan. He even knows who Shake Milton is because he saw firsthand when Shake Milton lit up the Clippers a couple of years back. But that's not who they are these days. You got to try something else. So um, absolutely worth it. I know Isaiah Joe continues to miss shots. Furkan missed his only shot tonight. Like even Charlie Brown is probably worth a shot. I know that he is not an ideal player offensively to pair with really anyone, but um, you, you got to just change it up because whatever they're doing right now is, is not working. And this team is just too inconsistent to, to buy as a, as a true title contender right now. I think that we've seen the peaks at various times since Harden joined. I mean, not, it's not a one-off thing, but just, you don't know what you're getting on, on a night to night basis. And this team, like this team hasn't earned like, the the ability to do that not in the sense like i'm not like trying to knock on the players but you look at a team like maybe a phoenix or even a milwaukee this year even milwaukee last year to an extent like they can you can kind of trust that what you're like these teams are experimenting but i don't really see the series experiment yeah they've changed some rotations but like this team hasn't earned the right to just trust that inconsistency is going to fall the wayside in the playoffs they're going to be great 
So um, something's got to change. And if it doesn't, I think you have to be worried about how far this, this Sixers team can go. I'm not saying that this era of Sixers basketball, however long Joel and, and Harden team up is doomed, but this year it's tough to really buy them because of the inconsistency and that, that part of that goes into the bench. Um, and I think Doc has a you know, responsibility to give some of these other guys a shot that aren't in the rotation currently. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, Jackson. You're looking at this and thinking, okay, yeah, we, you mentioned the Suns, you mentioned the Bucks, two teams that obviously have shown they can get there. They they were in the finals last season. Obviously, Milwaukee pulled it out. But you're, you're talking about, okay, we can trust the fact that, hey, um, you know what? Obviously, Giannis is Giannis. You got you know a couple other all-star level guys in, in Middleton and Holiday. And, but then you look around at that and you're like, okay, we're pretty solid with what we're going to get from Connaughton off the bench. We're pretty solid with Brooke Lopez. We're solid with... Uh, Bobby Portis, who's not, not going to light it up offensively, but is going to make some plays for you. And again, and I think that's where, to me, you basically have these guys on the roster that just don't bring anything, right? And it, and I think that's where, and I understand, you know, they, they had to fill that void once once Drummond was gone in the Harden trade. I don't know if, if there was anything, you know, Daryl Morey had in the works in terms of trying to get another deal done, maybe ran at a time, maybe couldn't find a partner for another veteran big or a veteran wing. But like I said, like DeAndre Jordan, just doesn't do much of anything. Uh, Paul Millsap, when he's been out there, doesn't do much of anything. We've seen that frequently from FERC. Like, you, you don't know what you're going to get. Shake Milton, he's, sometimes he's like, okay, maybe this guy can chip in eight to 10 points a game, and then he has nights like tonight. And so they just have no consistency. And I, and I wanted to, to bring it to this too, because I think when Harden, when the Sixers made the move for Harden, yeah, he, he didn't look his best in Brooklyn, but again, that's been a dicey situation all season with the Nets with Kyrie's, vaccination status coming in the way uh kd obviously missing some time and there was you know they had issues with the rotations with steve nash but i don't know if the expectation was that when harden was traded for that he was going to come in and immediately be like a 30 point per game guy do you know what i mean and i'm not saying that's what the the thinking was i'm just i'm wondering if if that was the case because now looking at this and harden got hurt once they looks like he got one in the groin did end up leaving the floor for a bit coming back and his, his hamstring does not look right. It doesn't look great. He was four for 15 in this one, uh, missed a lot of chippies inside as well. When, when you're looking at, at him, is do you think it might be best for the Sixers, again, with six games left, maybe punting what's going to happen in, in the standings? Because you do, I, we thought they would beat the Pistons for sure. They obviously didn't do that, but they have some winnable games with the Pistons still at the end of the season, a pair of games against Indiana. Do you look at this and say, let's just sit Harden for another five games or six games, get him some therapy, get that hamstring right. And hopefully we get this dynamic score again in the playoffs. Or do you think those days for Harden are just long gone? Yeah, that's not, that's not a theory that I'd subscribe to. Um, I, I think obviously like it seems like Harden benefits from a little more rest um, was obviously great for the first few games after a long layoff, um, you know, with the Sixers, I see a long layoff with the Nets. And then when he joined the Sixers, he was great for those first, maybe at least three games. I don't recall the fourth game they played, but against the Wolves and those, the Knicks, that, that home and home series. Um, but like, you're going to have to play every other day, basically in the playoffs, if you want to make a deep run. So I, I see what you're, I see what you're kind of getting at, but I don't think this is a quick fix with his hamstring. I think it, the optimistic kind of lens would be that an actual off season to fully rehab it while playing basketball, because I think he's, and I don't want to, I don't want to be incorrect here, but I think I read somewhere at the start of the year that he didn't get to play any five on five this past off season, because he was just focused on regenerating everything this hamstring has to offer mm -hmm. um, as a muscle and the tissue and whatnot there. Um, so obviously like at the very least he can play right now. So you would hope that like he can figure things out with an off season 
you know, to, to, to have, to, to play and to, to, to get things right entirely. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't rest him. But what I would do is I would experiment more. Like I know they've done some stuff with him as a screener, both on and off the ball. And they, they vary the pick and roll coverage that Joel runs, but I experiment with rotations, experiment with some more plays. Like this team just isn't like, they don't get a lot of easy bus- buckets. They're not a lot of system buckets mm-hmm. in this team. You compare it to the Suns and the Bucks. I know that's kind of the cream of the crop, but that's what you're hoping for, right? You, you're trying to win a title. Those teams get easy system buckets uh, in crunch time at the start of games, out of timeouts. And the Sixers are truthfully okay out of timeouts. They ran some good stuff tonight. They've yeah. they got a yeah. nice high-low action with Tobias. They run a lot, but like do something. Like use these games to experiment. Like you're not going to fall below four. And again, like I said in the last podcast, you shouldn't be trying to like tinker with the matchups because you don't want to play a team. Um, it should only be to kind of continue to assimilate this new core, but um, that's why that's how I would use these last six games. I wouldn't use it to sit at Harden or Joel or Tobias or any of these key players. Um, I would just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, and that's not going to happen because that's not really the mo of Doc schematically. I think rotationally he's proven he's, he's going to do that, but um, schematically that's just not who this team is. But that's what I would try, and that's that's kind of why the Suns and the Bucks have that kind of leeway is because. They're, if they do lose games in the regular season, it's not all because they're experimenting, but they're trying more things. They're trying to see what prepares them for the playoffs. And that happened a lot last year with the Bucs. I'm not saying that would mean the Sixers are going to win all of a sudden, but it was key to the Bucs winning last year that they had more versatility on both ends. And I just think that's kind of what you should use the regular season for. If you have an MP cal- MVP caliber player like Joel, who can kind of backpack you on certain nights to wins, like the Bucs do with Giannis, you should try those things. But the Sixers don't really try those things. And that's... Um, a concern and that kind of stems back to maybe why Doc isn't the ideal guy to to lead this team to where it wants to go. And I'm not saying it's the only reason, but he certainly feels like maybe a contributing factor. Yeah, Jackson, that's interesting. You know, mentioned that what's happening with Doc, he's got his fair share of critics and, and rightfully so. And he has done some good things as well. I, I remember earlier in the season when Joel was out and and you know couldn't play, whether that was through injury or the COVID stuff. We were complimenting him about how, look, man, he's getting these guys to play. And that one year he had that scrappy Clippers team, um, you know, that made the playoffs. And then they didn't have a ton of firepower, but they got in. And uh, um, he does deserve some sort of criticism for this. And it's interesting because there was a report. uh, It was released by NBC Sports Philadelphia. They were aggregating um, somebody from the ringer about some potential issues going on with Doc. We'll do that after a short break. All right. And we're back. Uh, Jackson, we're talking a little bit there before the break about maybe some issues with Doc Rivers. And there was an interesting tidbit from the Ringers' Wozni Lombre. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name. I'm just reading what was aggregated on NBC Sports Philly. And I'm I'm quoting here. A few weeks ago, because I'm decently tapped in with the player side of what's happening with the Sixers, though I don't know anybody in the Maury administration, I'm hearing things like, man, guys are not feeling Doc. His rotations, his philosophy, what he's doing, guys aren't feeling it. To me, sometimes you can chalk it up to be like, I should be playing more, but that's every NBA player. And again, this, this is what he's saying on the, on the podcast. So, okay, I see that he's talking about maybe the, the players are complaining about playing time, whatever it is. And this is another quote for him. The Sixers were in LA last week, obviously got those wins against the Clippers and, and Lakers. And this is Wazi Lambre saying that I'm out and about getting dinner. I run into somebody who's close to the team. And he basically Lambre saying that, Hey, I, I said, I wouldn't pick you guys to go to the finals this year. And somebody with the team says, neither would I. And so again, I, and he said, this is not direct inside knowledge, but he does know some people within the team. When you're looking at that, do you think there's been any of, cause I, I don't think I've seen it. And we watch basically every Sixers game that they play. I haven't seen 
discontent or heard much about it, you know, or from the players. So it's not something guys like Rich Hoffman, obviously Keith Pompey, guys are really plugged in with the team are talking about Derek Bodner as well. But is this, do you think this could be an issue with what's going on with this squad and especially with Doc? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know kind of the, the vibes side of things. I'm not plugged in like that. You know, I'm not really in press conference. I'm not around the team. Um, but what I will say is like, it, it should be noted that like there's been reports that that Daryl likes Doc and and I maybe even like wants him as the coach. But at the end of the day, Doc isn't Daryl's coach. Doc was hired before Daryl, um, and and so and there's a difference between enjoying the guy that is leading your team and the guy that and him being the guy that you want to lead your team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I, I wouldn't be shocked that the Sixers fall short of you know the conference finals again that they go in a different direction. And this is not, it's not anything sourced. It's just my kind of read on things because typically the, the lead decision maker in the front office likes the lead decision maker on the sidelines to be the, like someone they have chosen or they've collaborated with, uh, with other front office members. And that's not, that's not Daryl or that's not doc for Daryl. Um, again, that's just kind of how I view things. I'm not saying that doc's going to get fired. That he's on the hot seat or anything like that. That's just kind of, I think conventional wisdom that a front office, the lead front office decision maker wants kind of maybe pick his coach. And so if they underwhelm for a second straight year, despite another MVP caliber season from, from Joel, um, then I think you could see some rumblings of that, or you could even see a, a full on shift or I guess, you know, replacement. I don't know, but um, I mean, I, I think, you know, in that, in the, the, the article we're citing from NBC sports kind of let off with Joel being critical of the fact that he was on the bench for that entire third quarter, early fourth quarter run that, that kind of brought the back bucks from down double digits or, you know, eight point lead uh, when Giannis went off. So um, that's not me saying Joel's discontented with, with Derek, with doc, but when your star player comes out and says it like that, that like, that it just like, maybe next time match up, just match up the minutes. That's like the guy who matches up the minutes is the head coach. Right. And if your superstar is saying that one that can, you know, at the very least, slow Giannis to a degree that Paul Millsap couldn't um, then there's at least something there. I don't know what exactly there or something means, but it doesn't feel like doc has an ironclad uh, you know, say on things. I know Joel has talked about, he doesn't want to really be involved in front office decisions and, and whatnot, but um, you know, I just, I, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if they go in a different direction, if they fall short again. And I Truthfully, I think they will fall short in part because of Doc and the things that we've talked about for months on this podcast. But um, that's just kind of how I view things. Again, it's not source. I just, you know, it's just how I view it from an outsider perspective and someone who watches, you know, 95% of these games over the last two years. So um, we'll see what happens, I guess, at the very at the very latest. We'll know in four or five months. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. And it, it's interesting. You look at Doc, you know, he's had some very, very talented teams. Obviously took uh, the Celtic squad with, with KG. Real and Paul Pierce to a title lost again in the finals a couple of years later, but since making the conference final with that Boston squad in, in 2012, nine straight years without getting to at least a third round. And again, had some very, very talented teams. I uh, haven't been able to do it. And, and, and when you're looking at this and this is, this is interesting now, uh, just something live for you that, that I'm seeing uh, rich Hoffman tweeted this out of the athletic. Uh, he's watching the press conference on T- TV. Doc Rivers asked about the bench. Quote, unquote, they didn't struggle. They didn't get a lot of shots in their defense. I think during that stretch, it was more James and them. Yeah, it's just a tough night. Yeah, of course. I mean, Harden should be getting some more shots than, 
than than the guys on the bench. And again, it's it to me is like like you've mentioned, he has tried to tinker with things, whether it's staggering Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, whether that's um, trying to get Embiid and Harden, you know, seeing if you match up their minutes or get them out there separately. Just stuff just isn't seeming seeming to work. And when you're hearing these reports, and again, I I don't know how. Uh, legitimate or, or you know wh- at what level and and how close um Lombre's the guy from the ringer that we were talking about earlier has his sources to the team but you can kind of see it because the Sixers like you mentioned it's even the style that they play of course you want to slow things down a bit with your big man because you have a guy who gets the ball a lot with his back to the basket or gets the ball a lot at the high post you know top of the three-point line and and again Joel not known for his you know driving and, and dishing or anything like that so okay you want to run that kind of system but it's just what we're seeing around the team like when you when you're looking at this Jackson and objectively you know when you look at this where do you put the Sixers in the Eastern Conference pecking order in terms of championship favorites like how how, how would you stack them up with with the other big four and if you want to throw Brooklyn in there uh, presuming it's completely healthy and turning things around here as we get into the playoffs. Like, how would you rank the top five in the East? Yeah, I mean, I think I know the Bucks have been inconsistent. Like, I mean, they they beat the Sixers, but they also got you know blown out by uh, the Grizzlies. I know they were missing Drew Holiday, but the Grizzlies were also without John Morant. Um, and I just I would put the Bucks first still. I think I would go. I mean, it's tough because I like I would love to put the Celtics really high, but I do have worries about how good that offense is without Rob Williams. Obviously, mm-hmm. the defense will take a hit a little bit, but I think kind of the that vertical lob threat that he gives them uh, inside and just kind of a release valve for guys on drive is really huge. Um, you saw some issues uh, in their in their loss to the Heat on on Wednesday. Um, well, we need a bigger sample to determine anything for sure, but um, I think I would go the Nets second and then the Celtics third and the heat fourth and the, the six or fifth, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I really, it's, it's a fluid situation for me. I know the bucks be one. I just, I just can't trust the Sixers. It would be given the inconsistency we've seen from this year. And the fact that doc hasn't proven to be able to get quite an assortment of talented teams over that hump. And um, that's not just a coincidence. I think sometimes people like use that sort of thing, whether to play or coach against them unfairly, but I think there are certainly things throughout the years that doc has done that have held back his team in these key situations. So um I would just say no higher than three for me with 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 the with the with the Sixers. And I, I don't know exactly where to put the Nets. Um, they've been playing pretty well, I think, for the last couple of weeks. And I know the defense is inconsistent with them, but I just they turned it on last from the playoffs. I know that some of the personnel is different, but some of it's the same. And I just I just trust them to with those two superstars and um, and whatnot. And I, I think it does matter to an extent, like. Who, who is Kyrie? Like, is he going to be able to get all the way back in game shape? I think you've seen some signs of fatigue as he's become a full-time player again, which is a weird sentence to, to say, but um, that's the times we're living in. So I would go Bucks first, and then the Sixers no higher than three, um, which no higher than three would suggest they're not going to make it out of the, the second round again, which is where they've been for, you know, the last half decade of Joel Embiid's uh, tenure, and where I'm sure Sixers fans in the organization are tired of uh, capping out at. So um, that's just the way it goes, I, I guess. No, and, and, and you're 100%. You're 100% right. And and because I'm with you now, it's like I, I felt like after the Harden trade, okay, I would probably still put Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, one, two, three, somewhere. As much as I like the Heat, I, I'm just not convinced they're going to be able to to do it throughout the playoffs. Uh, but I, I'm with you. And then now that we've seen kind of the good and the bad, it hasn't been consistent still, even with James Harden. And, and I know he's dealing with that hamstring issue, uh, but I think there was a lot of pressure and a lot of, and it's not undue pressure. You get an MVP you know, former MVP winner, a guy who's still at the top of his game, 
uh, one of the 75 best players in league history. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you're, you're going to have expectations. And to me, the disappointing part has been the lack of consistency. Also, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it looked like Milwaukee's going to lose. Yeah, the Bucs just made a huge comeback, and Giannis uh, hit a three to tie that game up at, at 110 with 18 seconds left. So <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the Sixers are actually going to lose ground um, uh, to the Bucs here rather than, than stay equal. But um, last thing for you, Jackson, looking, looking at this again from big picture stuff, um, if Doc, if the team doesn't get out of the second round, let's say even gets upset in the first round, is that it for Doc? Because if you're looking at it, to me, it's it's championship or bust with this roster. And, and I think if they get to a conference finals, maybe lose to Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Brooklyn, whoever it might be um, when they get there, then you're looking at that and thinking, okay, you know what? They made it. They kind of got over that hump that you just mentioned that they haven't been able to with Joel on the roster and, and playing full time. But if if he doesn't, is that it for Doc? Like, and, and you mentioned he's an, he's an inherited coach. He wasn't, you know, here before Daryl Morey got got into town. So how, how do you look at that? Like, is is that the pressure on Doc here? You don't get into us at least two playoff um, round wins. You're gone. I mean, I I, I I would need more context about how that goes. Obviously, you can't give me that. But like, I mean, if they don't make it past the second round, just on its face, I would I would look elsewhere. And I'm not. I never want to like be someone's like, I want someone to like lose their job. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But if the goal for the Sixers is to maximize this roster, I don't think doc is that guy. I think, you know, I can't remember who it was. There are some very smart people that I I converse with who talk about the Clippers. It might be Robert Flom and Lucas Hahn. They do great work over there um, at at their site, but they, they've kind of termed it at least one of them, I think, and I could be wrong and maybe misattributing it, but um, Doc is really good when he's forced to be creative because he has underwhelming rosters. You know whether it's that team you mentioned, underwhelming. I would say less talented than the top of the, the top of the class mm-hmm. um, rosters. And we look at that that Clippers team that made the eight seed a couple of years ago. Um, but when he has talent like a Joel Embiid and a James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, he's a little more resigned to just kind of roll the ball out, let them play. And that's not what you need. Like there are times, yes, where you just go let your guys do their thing, give them a little bit of structure and they can play within that structure, that wide range of structure. But too often it feels like it's just, okay, we have two great isolation scores and one's a very good passer and one's an excellent passer. Um, and we're just going to see what happens. Like that can't be like, you have to win on the margins when you're coaching against a Budenholzer, Imani Williams and Eric Spolstra, or you're playing against a Kevin Durant in a, in a, in a Kyrie Irving. Um, are you coaching? Like, I think Ime's, Ime Doka's done a really great job mm-hmm. this year, especially as he's found his footing. So um, you you have to be better than that. And I don't think that's where Doc has been. So I would absolutely look elsewhere if they fall short of, of more than one playoff series win. Uh, if they fall short of the conference finals, say, in, in an easier to digest way. Um, and I, 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 even if even if they make it beyond that, I, I just I just don't. I just don't think unless Doc shows some serious improvements, like say Budenholzer did last year when he kind of tightened the rotation, I think he kind of showed a little more flexibility in things. If Doc doesn't show that sort of growth, you know, like we saw last year, then yeah, I think you have to absolutely look, look elsewhere if if the goal if the goal of the title does not get accomplished here, and, and absolutely look elsewhere if, if they don't even make it out of the second round again. So um, that's how I view things, and I, I hope at least you know for the for the sake of the Sixers and, and kind of their players that that does become reality. I'm sure Doc will land on his feet elsewhere, but and again, I'm not trying to call for somebody to be fired, but I just think this roster has a lot more room to grow and be maximized than what Doc and his current coaching staff are providing them. I'm, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. And I, I think that, and I'm not, you know, I know you're not saying he's, you're calling to get fired, but yeah, you're right. If, if he doesn't do it this season, 
and it's a disappointing loss again. I there, I just don't think there's any way when you have Joel playing at the level that he's playing at an MVP level guy, as we've mentioned, uh, seems to be one of the front runners right now. We could be surprised when, when we actually find out who, who is going to win the, the award ultimately, but seems to be right there, obviously with Jokic, Giannis playing himself way into the conversation again, based off what he's been doing uh, the last month or so. So I, I'm with you. I, I just think that they have to look elsewhere and get something else created because now you're going to have Harden on the roster. Presumably he's going to resign this off season. So you have two very, very, you know, high-end talented guys for just overall in the NBA. And if you don't have a coach that's bringing out the best in your team with that, and we're not seeing that consistently, I, I think he's going to definitely, definitely get, get canned uh, when the season is done. We'll wrap things up there. I know we said we're not going to go too long because it was a game against the Pistons, but there was a, <laughs> a lot to cover. So Jackson, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time out to join me on this one. And, and we always love reading your work on uh, libertyballers.com as well. Yeah, happy to talk. And I think this game warranted kind of a big picture uh, step back after the last couple. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. And I'm always excited to talk about uh, the Sixers, even when they have an ugly fourth quarter like they did tonight. But that's uh, that's the beauty of the NBA, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's ne never, never boring with the Sixers, as we know. <laughs> so it's been uh, it was an interesting up and down uh, season. And obviously this week has been a lot of downs, but hopefully we'll see some ups here. Uh, the Sixers getting ready for a back to back this weekend starts against Charlotte on Saturday. And then they're back at it on Sunday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. That'll do it for this episode. Like I always say, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Sean will be back with the Talking About Podcast tomorrow. That's on Friday. And then on Sunday, the Gastroenteritis Blues. The crew will be back with you covering the Cavs game against the Sixers.